Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. This week's lesson is entitled Religious Teachings and the Philosophy of Nonviolence. Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe. Hello, and welcome to Converging Streams. Today we are going to consider the philosophy of nonviolence as expressed in three of the great religious traditions. The tradition of Taoism, which is a branch of Buddhism, the Christian tradition, and the Hindu tradition. Now, although we will be considering those three religious traditions, uh, virtually every religious tradition has within it a commandment which is similar to the golden rule. That is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Taken a step further, we have teachings such as love thy neighbor, but also love thine enemies. Very powerful teachings and what the great religions teach about nonviolence and what we discover when we actually implement nonviolence is that it is a force which is more powerful than violence. More powerful, why? Because, number one, there is much less cost of human life. Number two, there is much less material cost and financial cost. And finally, it is a way of bringing about true reconciliation. Nonviolence is not pursued as a zero-sum game. Now, what do I mean by zero-sum game? A zero-sum game is a game where one person wins and one person loses. So you have a plus one and a negative one, and that equals zero. If you have a game which is not a zero-sum game, that means both parties come out winning. That the reconciliation results in a cooperative relationship, a result which is positive and beneficial to both sides, to fulfilling the needs of both sides. And that is true reconciliation. Now I'd like to read for you some passages from the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching is the scripture of Taoism. And there are many beautiful verses in the Tao Te Ching which express so eloquently the philosophy of nonviolence. For example, water ever yielding can wear through the hardest of substances. Water ever yielding can wear through the hardest of substances. It is in this philosophy expressed so beautifully in Taoism that it is through yielding that a person overcomes. A wise man does not contend, therefore no one can contend against him. Is another passage. For the person who is one with nature, though the body engage in battle, there is no violence. But for the person who is not one with nature, though the body be at rest, there is always violence. This verse is unique in that it attributes violence to an inner conflict totally. One's behavior on the outside can be harmonious, even though it may look as if one is contending or engaging in battle. Whereas nonviolence is defined as that condition where a person has removed conflict from, from within oneself 
and is living in inner harmony. Here's another beautiful one using the metaphor of a leaf. A leaf, when young and supple, is soft. In death, it is brittle and breaks. A tree, when young, bends with the wind. When it is old, it is hard and stiff. Therefore, hard and stiff is the disciple of death. Bending and yielding is the disciple of life. Here's another verse from the Tao Te Ching. Weapons are instruments of fear. They are not a wise man's tools. He uses them only when he has no choice. Peace and quiet are dear to his heart, and victory no cause for rejoicing. Another verse from the Tao Te Ching. A brave and passionate man will kill or be killed. A brave and calm man will always preserve life. A good soldier is not violent. A good fighter is not angry. A good winner is not vengeful. A good employer is humble. This is known as the virtue of non-striving. The weak will overcome the strong. So it is said in the Tao Te Ching. Now, Taoism is the philosophy out of which the martial arts came. Now, you may find that rather paradoxical that here you have a nonviolent philosophy, basically, and yet you have a system which evolved from it through which one learns self-defense. But that system actually teaches the philosophy of the Tao. How? Because through the martial arts system, one learns how to yield to overcome an opponent's strength. That is, if someone is charging at you, rather than meeting the force head on, like so, and being in conflict directly, one rather steps aside and allows the force to be deflected. This uh, is called parrying the force. It is a way of taking the force which is coming at you from your opponent and through yielding or through weakness, turning it against the opponent. The Apostle Paul makes a reference to that type of relationship in the book of Corinthians in the Christian tradition, where he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This relationship between weakness and strength, that is to say, a certain force which is greater than physical force, based on weakness, is more powerful than violence. Now, another famous teaching which deals with nonviolence comes to us from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Matthew 5.39. Now, this teaching has generally in the past been interpreted as a teaching of submission. But there was a person who came along, a very famous man who came along, who reinterpreted that. And he did so in the late 1800s. And his name was Mahatma Gandhi, the great Indian nonviolent teacher who liberated India through a great nonviolent revolution. Gandhi, instead of interpreting Jesus' words as nonviolent submission, interpreted them as nonviolent resistance, a teaching of nonviolent resistance, which was used to call public attention to an injustice. 
Gandhi realized that if indeed you turn the other cheek, you are not running away and you are not attacking, but you are holding your ground and continuing to stand for the principle or, or the issue which you are demonstrating for. Now, I've thought about this quite a bit, this idea of interpreting turning the other cheek as nonviolent resistance. And, you know, we have a phenomenon within the human body which has been discovered recently by physiologists and evolutionary scientists. It's called the fight-or-flight response. The fight-or-flight response means that when you are threatened, you will have a reaction within, a biochemical reaction within you, whereby the adrenaline starts flowing, and you react in a way which either motivates you to strike back and fight or run away. It's a self-preservation mechanism, one which, was, which we've inherited from prehistory times when it was a very useful survival mechanism. We all have this response when we are threatened verbally, let's say, or physically, we get angry, our blood pressure goes up, muscles tense, and we prepare physiologically to either strike back or run. That is our animal response, our animal instinct, you could say. But what Gandhi suggests that turn the other cheek means is that we rise above that instinct. We stand our ground and show courage and show our aggressor, that we will not strike back, nor will we be turned away. And when we do so, it awakens something in that person, in in the aggressor, which increases his respect for us and shows that his violent actions will not succeed. This nonviolent force, Gandhi called Satyagraha, which translates as soul force. At least that's one translation of it. And he saw it as indeed more powerful than physical force. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King used that phrase, soul force, in his I Have a Dream speech. It is a part of the I Have a Dream speech which occurred at the huge march on Washington in the Civil Rights era, which is rarely heard. But if you listen to the entire speech, you'll hear him refer to elements of Mahatma Gandhi's philosophy of nonviolence. This is a philosophy which embodies the power of sacrifice, expressed most fully in the persons of Jesus, and in the person of Gandhi, and in the person of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And we saw the application of this in a very successful way during the civil rights era. And we saw it in India, in the liberation of India from British rule, led by Mahatma Gandhi. And we saw it in women's suffrage, the women's suffrage movement which fought for women's right to vote. Now notice I used the word fight. I said the women's suffrage movement fought for the women's right to vote because nonviolent resistance, turning the other cheek, using this interpretation of resistance and not submission, that that is a way of fighting, fighting for principles, fighting for justice, calling public attention to an injustice. And in doing so, we change public opinion, we change society, and we set an example of how to bring about justice and truth without resorting to the type of behavior which embodies violence, which causes a person to lose the higher moral ground. 
but following the principles of the philosophy of nonviolence, whether it be as expressed in the Taoist teachings, whether it be as expressed in the teachings of Jesus, whether it be as interpreted by the Hindu sage and philosopher Mahatma Gandhi. Following that path enables us to unleash a more powerful spiritual force, a soul force, which can overcome through its ability to yield and to win the hearts of the oppressor through that ability and transform the unjust situation into a positive, reconciled, cooperative relationship whereby the image of the divine, the image of God can be seen and made visible. I'd like to close with a peace prayer which comes from a Christian saint in the Roman Catholic tradition whose name was St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. This is George Wolfe for Converging Streams. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, interfaith fellowship in our modern world. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolfe, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening, and have a pleasant week.